What an honour I have to bring the Bible reading to you today, Psalm 139, um, said as a blessing over Josiah when he was born and still in the delivery room. I'm sure I'm not the only parent that has shared this, prayed this over their child. Um, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your, wo your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name is Diddy. I'm a regular here at Toongabi Baptist Church. And today, I've got the absolute honour and privilege of uh, speaking from God's Word. Uh, but before we do so, let's bow our heads and pray. Abba, Father, may everyone in this room this morning see how magnificent you are as we go through your word. May not a single soul leave here, Lord, without being in awe of you. May we find comfort in who you are and how deep your love is for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you testify of Jesus right here, right now. And it's in the glorious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
So this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 139, and it's a psalm that's written by King David. It's a third week of our Discover series, where we've been looking at a different topic each week. And this week, we're looking at the topic of comfort. So I guess I have to ask a question, where, where do you find comfort? You know, where is it? Maybe it's comfort in the dream job a job that you're passionate about, that gives you a great work-life balance. You know, maybe you've got some co-workers that have become really good friends, and on top of that, you're making a decent income through it. And so you start, and you're going great, but over time, some of these co-workers, they've been made redundant. You've been relocated, you've been given extra responsibilities And your passion for what was once a dream job has now withered, and now it's just become burdensome work. Or maybe it's comfort in the ideal partner. You know, you've found someone that you absolutely love and adore, Um, you love being around them, and you get married, you have a stunning wedding, you finally live with each other, and the physical intimacy is blowing your mind. You know, life is great. But then some time lapses, and you're out of that honeymoon stage. You know, there's some things that you find irritating about your partner now. You know, you seem to argue about everything, and you realize that they can't cook as well as your mum. And suddenly you're miserable coming home to the very person that you're in a covenant with. Or maybe it's comfort in the dream home. You know, as you start the build, you know, your intentions, uh, are, they're good. You know, you want a home that the family can create new and fresh memories in. But once the build is done and you move in, there's been multiple interest rate rises. And mortgage, the mortgage repayments are getting super tight. And you find yourself working overtime just to make ends meet. Only to come home after a long day, to constant discord in the family home. And what you longed for, which very, very well may have been done with good intention, turned out nothing like what you had hoped for. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, some different attributes of God. And so as we move through this passage, six verses at a time, we'll see that one, God knows everything about everything. Two, God is here, there, and everywhere. Three, God has ultimate and limitless power. And four, God is a God of justice. And as we explore these different attributes of God, we'll discover that our knowledge of who God is leads to our hearts being filled with comfort. So first, God knows absolutely everything about everything. God is omniscient, which is just a fancy word for God being all-knowing. He is all-knowing. He knows every detail and scientific fact there is to know about every plant that's in the ground, every animal that's in the sky, on the land, in the sea. He knows every nuance of every language. He knows every detail of every historical event with unlimited memory. He knows everything that there is to know about astronomy, every detail about every star, planet, asteroid, black hole, 
and everything else that's outside of our firmament. God knows absolutely everything about everything. You know, God doesn't ever sit there and say, oh, aha, uh-huh, yep, yeah, right, that's, that's some new information that you've just told me. Because God, he can't be taught anything. And this passage, it tells us that there is nothing outside the knowledge of God. That means that he knows every single detail from every single second of your life. You know, these first few verses, they refer specifically to God's relationship with his people. His all-knowing attribute is also, it's, it's intimate and it's personal. You know, did you notice that in verses 1 to 6? Now, I know we're currently on school holidays, but let's step into the classroom and let's do some schoolwork. In yellow, on the screen, I've highlighted all the references uh, in the first six verses about the all-knowing God. And in blue, I've highlighted all the references about us, God's people. And tell me what you see. You know, there's this back and forth about the all-knowing God and his thoughts about us. You know, you have searched me, Lord. You and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways and so on and so forth. He knows every single detail from every single second of your life. Even the parts that you have no memory over because, you know, you're a young child or whatever it is. You know, he knows it. And it's not just you that he knows about. You know, the person that's sitting next to you, he knows all about them as well. And not just the person sitting next to you, the 300 plus people sitting here right now, he knows about them. And not just them, but the 8.1 billion people that are on this planet right now, plus every single person that's ever lived before us. He knows every single detail from every single second of every single person. Man, that's, that's a lot of information. You can go to the next slide. So I, I grew up in a, in a Tamil church. Now, Tamils were an ethnic group native to Sri Lanka and uh, the south of India. And from about the ages of 16 to 18, I remember there being some unfaithfulness in my relationship with God and unfaithfulness in my heart as I served. My life when I came to church, in comparison to my life outside of church, were two completely different lives. You know, I remember coming to church and wanting to make sure that everyone could see that I was vacuuming or helping pack up. Not just when I was rostered on to do so, but even the weeks that I wasn't. You know, I rarely helped out at home, but at church it was another story. You know, I'd walk around church acting like I was being servant-hearted, but I wasn't being servant-hearted. I was just trying to impress anyone that would care to watch. Some leaders even came up to me and said that they believe I should consider going to this camp called NextGen. It still runs today in in Katoomba. It's a five-day camp and it uh, helps uh, older teenagers and young adults on how to prepare a Bible study. And it's a camp I highly recommend. Now, all the other leaders and potential leaders were going, so I just thought, yep, I'll, I'll go as well. But the biggest thing that I took away 
from this camp was not how to prepare a Bible study, but instead it was about how far I actually was from God. You see, at this camp, the Holy Spirit brought me to the realisation that I could fake it to my family, I could fake it to my Christian friends, I could fake it to the members of this Tamil church, but I could not fake it to God. It was at this camp that I met the all-knowing God. He knows every single detail about every single second of your life and He is familiar with all of our ways. You know, sometimes or maybe all the time, when we come to church, when we walk through those doors, you know, we put on our best self. You know, we get worried about what other people are going to think of us. You know, but let me, let me remind you, God knows you. Every single part. Even the, even the parts that other people don't know, God knows. And He loves you. The parts that other people find hard to love, God loves you, regardless of that. And it can be confronting being completely and utterly exposed, but that's just how it is between us and God. And He loves us. I hope you find great comfort in that. That in the, in the midst of your sin, God loved you. And we see the ultimate, absolute and undeniable proof of that with Jesus at the cross on your behalf. And... You know what else is a result of God being all-knowing? Biblical prophecy. You know, prophecy, the foretelling of events in the Bible, um, happens because God is all-knowing. God knows the future. Um, During Christmas, if you remember, we looked at a passage from Isaiah chapter 9. Now, the the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, And it's just one of the many prophecies about the birth of Jesus. Now, how did that happen? Well, because God revealed to Isaiah what he already knew was going to happen. And he can do so because he's all-knowing. He is all-knowing and he knows the future in the same way that he knows the past. So then if you think about it like this, right, if... The birth of Jesus was prophesied about, and it happened. And if the death and resurrection of Jesus were prophesied about, and they happened, then what does that mean about the prophecies regarding the return of Jesus? You see, the all-knowing God, He knows about the return of Jesus. That's why it's in the Bible. And I wish I had the words to express how much comfort and joy I find in this, that the return of Jesus is prophesied about through the all-knowing God. You know, this all-knowing attribute, it's unique to God. There's no one else like this who possesses this attribute. God knows absolutely everything about everything. And God is absolutely everywhere all the time. He's here, there, and everywhere. God is omnipresent, which refers to God being present everywhere. There is no place for us to go where God isn't present. You know, whether it's up north to the clouds and then beyond our atmosphere, 
God is there. If it's down south to the depths of the ocean and beyond, God is there. If you go as far east or west as possible, God is there. Remember Jonah? Jonah, he tried to run away from God until he found out the hard way when he was stuck inside a big fish that God is inescapable. It's an awkward way to find out. You know, my family, we're going to Bali next week. And when we catch our plane from Sydney to Bali, God won't say, okay, bye, have a safe flight. He doesn't say, welcome back when we come back to Sydney. He'll be with us at Sydney Airport. He'll be with us when we're on the plane. And he'll be with us when we arrive in Bali. He doesn't leave us. It's not possible for him to leave us with his omnipresent attribute. And even death in the grave still cannot separate us from God. And God's omnipresent attribute is actually quite an intimate reality as well. It's an intimate reality. Let me explain using social media. See, social media can often have the illusion of intimacy. Not always, but often. You know, when someone makes a post on Facebook or Instagram, what type of things would you generally post about? You know, we often post about the best things in life. You know, milestones, uh, events, holidays, achievements which show our happiest and most joyous moments. On the next slide. Uh, When a graduation photo is posted, we don't get to see and be a part of the struggle through every assignment as the milestone of a graduation is achieved. When a holiday photo is posted, you know, we might not get to see the chaos of everyday life, which is the reason that you needed that holiday in the first place. And as you relax and enjoy your holiday and take pics with the family, really behind it all is just a big sigh of relief that you have a temporary break from the busy schedule of life. You know, when a joyous pregnancy announcement is made, we may not ever know of or see the struggle of how rough the journey has been to fall pregnant. Or maybe it's posting a picture which has the illusion of a happy family when you know full well that there's conflict in the home. You know, we often stay private about the things in our life that are the most difficult. But you know, with God, there's intimacy and comfort. You know, intimacy and comfort can be found in the midst of the greatest difficulties in life. You know, even if others don't know what's going on, God knows. You know, from memory as an adult, I remember this moment really clearly. Um, And it's really the only moment that I've ever been on the floor crying my face off. And as I read these verses and I'm reminded that God is everywhere, I'm reminded that God was right there with me as I sat in my anguish. And what's that moment for you? Or maybe it's not a moment, maybe that's just how life feels like all the time nowadays. 
You know, this omnipresent attribute, God being everywhere, this is unique to God. There is no one like this who possesses this attribute. And as I reflect on this truth about God, I'm filled with comfort. I'm filled with comfort that God was there with me when I was on the floor feeling defeated. And He's with me every single time I felt, you know, one of those lows. There is no illusion of intimacy when it comes to our God. You know, we've already been reminded that God is all-knowing, so that thing that you're going through right now, He already knows every detail about that situation. But not only that, He is there in the midst of that situation. Remember that. And you know, don't, don't let your flesh, don't let your flesh tell you otherwise. And don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. You know, when your brain lies to you saying that God is far, either your flesh is creating doubt or the enemy is just straight out lying to you. And may I encourage you, work through the doubt. Work through the lie. You know, remind yourself of the character of God. You know, even Mark last week, he shared about some of the struggles that happened in lead up to, um, you know, preparing a sermon. But he always came back to truth. He worked through that doubt. He worked through any lie that, you know, Satan was trying to convince him of. And I encourage you to do the same. You know, when your brain lies to you saying, God is far, he is not. Remember Jesus? Jesus and his compassion, he's compassionate. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He himself is love. And he excels in ultimate perfection in these areas. You know, that even means that when you face the challenges that await you in the future, be comforted knowing that, God is already there. On your deathbed, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, be comforted because God is there and he's about to take you to paradise. So whatever you're going through right now, know that God is there, right there in the midst of it because God is absolutely everywhere all the time. And he also, he's got the power to work in our situations because God has ultimate and limitless power. God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. And every single thing you see in creation, it testifies to the power of God. Uh, One of my favourite places to visit is the zoo. And I encourage you to go every once in a while. You know, if you haven't been to Sydney Zoo, that's my favourite zoo. Uh, I've got a yearly pass for it. Well, actually, it, it expired last week, so I've got to renew it. So, but anyway, I've, I'm going to have a yearly pass. Um, and it's about 10 minutes from, ye- from here. And yeah, I'm, I'm not a salesman for them, so don't worry. Um, but I do love the place. And I think one of the many reasons I love the zoo is because it points me to God and how detailed he is as a creator. You know, every part of an animal's body has a purpose. From the kangaroo's tail that helps the kangaroo with balance and speed to the pouch on the kangaroo's belly for, so that it can carry its young ones. 
or the fish that's created with, uh, with fins and gills so that they can swim and breathe underwater, to a tiger that was created with stripes so that it can camouflage and hunt with precision, from the giraffe's long neck to the elephant's trunk to the peacock's tail to the rhino's horn, to the chimpanzee's strength. We can keep going on and on, but each animal is created uniquely. And there are so many species out there. You know, it just makes you sit and marvel at God as a designer. You know, don't even get me started on space. You know, astronomers can continue to research and look at space for the rest of history, and still they will never discover or be able to comprehend What's truly out there? You know, the study of space, it doesn't lead us to getting closer and closer to figuring it all out. Our study of space leads to us realizing that there is more and more that we actually don't know about God. But King David here, he doesn't talk about animals or space in verses 13 to 18. He talks about something greater. Have a look, the most complex of God's creation, which is on a whole other realm, humanity. You know, these verses, 13 to 18, they're verses referring to the creation of us. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our daughter, I used this app on my phone, and what you do, you enter the due date of, uh, of your baby, and it tells you week by week the development stages um, of the baby, you know, from the head and the brain to the hands, fingers, fingernails, to the feet and toes, the eyes, eyelids, organs. Week by week, I got to see verses 13 to 18 in action. You know, the workings of the human body are stunning in their design, and God is flawless in his execution. And King David, he didn't have the technology that we have nowadays. And still he acknowledged God as the perfect and powerful creator. And if you Google um, Bible verses about babies, one of the most popular verses that come up is verses 13 and 14 of this psalm. You know, these verses are often linked to newborns or babies. But no matter how many years since your birth, you must remember that these verses are still speaking about you. You know, you were knitted in your mother's womb by a powerful God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were even formed, God knew you, and God knew how many days you would live. He knew exactly how your life was going to be. Before your mother knew she was pregnant, God knew you. In fact, God knew you before your mother was even born. In fact, at the creation story in Genesis 1, God knew you then. And I want to ask, you know, when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, what do you see? When you think of your life and all the things that have been, how do you view yourself? You know, are you maybe filled with a sense of disappointment or sadness about yourself? You know, maybe you wish that you lived the life of somebody else. And if that's how you feel, I want to 
encourage you to work through that doubt, work through that lie. And to do so, meditate on verses 17 and 18. These verses just blow my mind. And dare I say, it almost doesn't make sense. Verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. These verses are referencing God's thoughts about us. It's saying that God's thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand. Isn't that's just that's incredible? That God knows you, that God cares for you, and he thinks often of you. You know, so often that his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand. You know, it's like I read that and I just go, what? How? Like, why would God think of me? Like, I know who I am. I've sinned greatly against God. You know, I've been a terrible son. You know, I've failed as a brother. You know, outside the home, I was violent in nature. You know, I've lived a life of so much immorality and rebellion towards God. And I've even told God to go away. I literally told God with my own lips to go away. You know, I had dinner with a few friends from church uh, a few days ago and the conversation got to our rebellious teenage years. And after I shared some things briefly, I, got, I was asked, you know, so what changed? And it was, it's clear, it's the redemptive work of Christ. See, it's at the cross that you see the power, power and love of Christ on full display. God isn't some closed-off God. You know, the veil, it's been torn. We have direct access to him. You know, and when you see this power and love in action at the cross, it makes sense to see his power and love in his thoughts. These verses make sense and bring comfort when you just begin to understand the power and love of God. Now, maybe you're here and you're here because you're curious about God. You know, I hope your curiosity leads to, worship, leads to the worship of God. I hope you give your life to the very one who gave you life, to the God who has ultimate and limitless power. And to our final point, our God is a God of justice. This passage, it takes a real sharp turn at verse 19. You know, before that, it was all wonder and praise and adoration. And then suddenly, the language of King David, it changes, the mood changes, and he's speaking about those who blaspheme against God, you know, and people that live as though God doesn't know and God, that God's not there and God won't do anything about their sin. There's a clear contrast here in finding comfort and um, comfort and identity in the person of God and to those who find comfort and identity in sin. 
making a stand against God and living in rebellion to him. And as we ponder these verses living in the new covenant, we know that we have a clear enemy. It is sin and the creator of sin, Satan himself. It's because of Satan that there is evil in this world. But God, God is a God of justice, meaning that he has to do something about sin and he will do something about sin. Whether it's to those who've committed war crimes or those that are involved in corruption in our society, to those that have been involved in horrific cases of abuse, God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin, nor does he leave it unpunished. Because if he did that, that would make him unjust. So be comforted that those evils that are out there in the world, they won't go unpunished. King David here, he's he's siding with the God of justice and aligning his thoughts with God's thoughts. And how does he do that? Have a look at verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a way to live, you know, striving for holiness. These verses are like saying, God, if, if, there's, if there's any sin in my life, reveal it to me and please, with your help, get rid of it. And as we read those final words, lead me in the way everlasting, that's asking God to be bound with Christ and to, make, um, and to be made more like him. You know, David, he opens his soul completely to God to see if there's any sin that, you know, it's crept in or maybe it's just lurking around. You know, he cared about his own holiness. And as we sit with this passage and reflect on the wonder of God, may our adoration for God lead to honoring God and striving for holiness. And the way of holiness, it's being led in the way everlasting towards Jesus. That's our destination. Siding with Jesus, the God of justice. So as we close this morning and reflect on this passage, it will either bring you great comfort in the person of God or it will bring you great distress if you find your comfort in sin. To those who have a relationship with Jesus um, and will stand on the final day forgiven, continue to side with God, always and in everything. You know, you can't love God without hating sin. So ask God to refine you, to expose any sin that's been hovering around and ask him to make you more like his son as you await his glorious, as you await the glorious return of Jesus. Or maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need you to know that you are in a very dangerous position. There are no secret sins with God. And he doesn't let sin go unpunished. You can't love God without hating sin. You know, when it's all said and done and your time on earth is up, 
There is no greater terror than standing there unforgiven in front of the God of justice. Because God cannot, will not turn a blind eye to our sin. You need to know God, the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God wants to be in relationship with you. Surrender your life to the one who gave you life. Let's pray. Abba, Father, you are the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God of justice. May everyone in this room this morning know how glorious you are. Lord, search us, know our heart, test us, and know our anxious thoughts. And Father, see if there is any sin that has crept in or has been lurking around. And lead us, please, with your strength in the way everlasting by making us more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.